Hello, and welcome to the Smart Karma Podcast. I'm Michael Tigos. Every week on the podcast, we share a discussion from our webinar Wednesdays, when we sit down with Smart Karma insight providers and selected experts from around the world to break down the key topics you care about in Asia's markets. Let's go to today's discussion. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another webinar Wednesday by Smart Karma. I'm your host, Michael Tegos, and today I'm excited to be joined by Vyom Malan, who will present his insights on Indian ID services firms. As people start to stream in, uh, some quick housekeeping. Please remember, you can always send your questions for our speaker using the Q&A button on your screen. Please do not reshare or reproduce the contents of this webinar without express permission. As always, we'll have a recording uh, of this webinar available on the registration page afterwards. Our speaker today, Vyam Malan, is a global equity analyst with uh, more than 13 years of experience on the buy side, covering companies in emerging and developed markets. Uh, Vyam specializes in fundamental and quantitative analysis on companies in the internet, telecommunications, media, technology, IT services, healthcare, pharmaceutical, and other industrial uh, sectors. Vyam, thank you very much for uh, being with us. Uh, welcome to Webinar Wednesdays, and uh, please feel free to take it away. Well, thank you, Michael. Appreciate that, and good evening, everyone. Thank you all for participating. So as Michael has alluded, today I'm going to take a look at the Indian IT services sector with a focus on the four larger companies in the sector, which is Tata Consultancy Services, Infosys, HL Technologies, and Wipro. So in the slide deck that we'll go through, I'll give a quick overview of what's happening within the industry, what the performance has been by the companies, what some of the differences are between these companies, We'll look at the valuations and then obviously what my picks and pans are at the moment. So quickly, just background for myself. Um, as Michael has mentioned, um, I've got a buy side background uh, covering mostly emerging market stocks for more than 13 years. And I've been looking at this sector specifically for over six years. So if we go to the first slide there, Michael, um, just to give you guys a bit of overview of the scene and what the share price of performance has been over the last three years. We can see that the sector as a whole has done reasonably well. Uh, the share price performances are characterized by three distinct periods here where we saw a really good performance in 2018, followed by flattish performance in 2019, and then the very turbulent 2020 so far this year where we saw a big sell-off in sort of February and March this year as the COVID-19 pandemic started to hit and the market got spooked about the impact this might have on these companies along with the rest of the equity markets in general and a really strong recovery that we've seen since April. Now this is sort of one area that we'll focus on in the slide deck but the recovery mainly was due to the market realizing the high quality of these companies if you look at their net cash balance sheets the high recurring nature of their revenues also more importantly the impact from the COVID pandemic so far has been significantly less than what we expected initially uh, the negative impact peaked as early as the fiscal first quarter 2021 which is the quarter up to june so actually in sort of may we saw the worst of it and improvement from there where order books have already started to recover. These companies have managed to move more than 95% of their workforce to work from home. And most of them delivered really good results in the last quarter. So 
I mean, initially, we expected the negative impact to revenue to be sort of two to three quarters of negative revenue growth. And as it stands now, it looks like it's only going to be the one quarter with a recovery starting already. So on the next slide, uh, just to give you guys a brief overview of the industry and the background where we're coming from. Now, if you look at worldwide IT services, there's a lot of different measurements on the size of it. Here I've used the NASCOM numbers, which is the Indian regulator. And you can see that over the last five years or so, this industry has been growing quite steadily at around 3% plus per annum, driven by higher digitalization, move to cloud, and outsourcing of IT services um, mostly. That was until this year when we saw the pandemic hit and these expectations would curb drastically. And as it stands now, we expect the industry as a whole to decline by 2%, followed by a recovery from next year. Now, if you look at the Indian IT services sector, and especially the top four companies, they've been growing at around two times plus faster than this, um, continually taking market share, probably since inception. And the market share is taken from the large incumbent players like IBM, Accenture, Microsoft, and the likes, despite new players, especially in the infrastructure management services or cloud business like Amazon, uh, Microsoft Azure, and the likes taking market share as well. So if we look at the next slide, you'll see why they've been taking market share. So these companies have undoubtedly started with a sustainable competitive advantage, which is anchored in labor arbitrage. This was more evident when they started off in the early years with a lot of business process outsourcing. Before that was moved on largely to companies in the Philippines. But the slide here on the top left-hand bar chart, what I've tried to do is just quickly show the average cost per employee for these companies. You can see that's around about $30,000 a year. And you compare that to data from payscale.com, which shows that the average pay for a computer software engineer in the U.S. is somewhere between seventy dollars and $90,000 a year, depending on their level of experience, which is a significant competitive advantage. And I do think this is sustainable going forward. There has, however, been over the last decade or so, a slight deterioration in this competitive advantage in that their peers have largely offshored a lot of their workforce as well. If you look at IBM, Accenture, especially Cognizant and the likes. But however, these guys have access to a very large talent pool coming out of India, which is very highly educated as software engineers. So I do think that is sustainable. What they've also done is use this competitive advantage to grow in scale. So if you think about your typical IT services contract, more than 95% of work is done for repeat clients, which means that scale and trust is enormously important. And you can see how they've grown if, it look, if you look at the number of large clients um, as well as the number of employees. For example, TCS has gone from 200,000 to 450,000 employees in a decade. Um, so you get sort of a virtuous cycle that's created here by them winning contracts with larger clients. They are able to scale up, which allows increased trust and winning of even more clients um, at larger levels, et cetera, et cetera. What also helps these companies, and we'll talk about that later, is their very strong balance sheets. And they all have extremely large net cash bal balances on the balance sheets, which helps instill that trust with the clients. So on the next couple of slides, starting with next slide five, I'm just going to take you through a couple of the main 
differences between the four big players, starting off with where their exposures lies, and this is from a revenue point of view. So you can see on the left-hand bar charts that they're all heavily exposed to the US um, and Americas as a whole. Uh, so that doesn't really differentiate them, although if you look within the verticals, you can see TCS and Infosys has more exposure to the financials within the US, which is interesting. So if you look at the North American numbers, Infosys has actually been outperforming TCS, um, especially due to the different performance within the vertical sector. What does help TCS, however, and it's a big tailwind for them, is that they've got the largest exposure to Europe. Now, now Europe is a very exciting market in that the outsourced IT services, independent outsourced IT services, is really coming off a very low base. So the European firms were slower than the US companies in outsourcing the service. So the growth, the growth rates are significantly higher. And within Europe, TCS has been outperforming Infosys, consistently over the last couple of years, except for this last reported quarter. Also within the US, we've seen HL technologies perform the best, but a lot of that is driven by software as a service type products, so software and platform that they've been selling, um, which we also need to sort of be cognizant of, and I'll, I'll take you through a bit more detail later on. Within the different verticals, not too much to choose between the companies. I would, however, highlight that in the most recent quarter we've seen only really the healthcare space consistently performing well still, um, as you would expect in the current environment, with financials, manufacturing, technology, and retail especially struggling. Within technology, there's been a couple of pockets of good performance, um, but it has been sort of patchy still. On the next slide, we can see what this has meant for these companies over the last five years. This is also very important to distinguish the difference in perceived quality between the companies, which feeds into valuation then. So first of all, if you look at group constant currency revenue growth, you can see that HL Technologies has outperformed all the other companies. Now there's a big caveat to that. A lot of that growth is from inorganic means. So HL Technologies has been the one company that's been active in using their cash balance in M&A, and it's been specifically in the software side of it. If you were to look at their organic growth, it will probably be around 6 to 8% less than what you see on that left-hand line chart. What's also very notable there is that up until 2019, TCS has really been the star of the show, outperforming all the companies um, on terms of growth. Also need to note that that growth is of an exceptionally high base compared to the other companies. So they have been, you know, they've been the, the blue chip company in terms of execution and creating scale, which is also reflected in the margins in the middle line chart there. So you can see TCS consistently delivering higher margins. There's also a marked difference between the margins of TCS and Infosys versus Wipro and HL Technologies in that HL Technologies and Wipro have much larger exposure to infrastructure management services, which is your typical uh, managing of you know, data center operations and you know, services and infrastructure at the client site. So um, if you look at Wipro, for instance, um, that has caused them to have the lowest return on invested capital versus these companies. Wipro also owned a lot of data center operations, which they have now divested. They actually divested it in 2018. And you can see in the return on invested capital, there's a clear inflection point in March 2018 as that has happened. 
also notable under the returns is how HCL Technologies return invested capital has deteriorated over the last five years, which has driven a lot of the discount rating in this company. That obviously is a result of all the acquisitions they've done and the amount of goodwill and intangibles that have been recognized. And then obviously TCS as the clear leader there. Now, if you look at all of this, this has all been reflected in their relative valuation levels historically with TCS commanding a significant premium, followed by Infosys, and then lagged by HCL Technologies and Wipro. On the next slide, it's just a quick overview of my internal proprietary corporate governance assessment methodology. Um, I won't go into too much detail here, but the key takeaway, first of all, is that the sector as a whole and all these companies score really well relative to the rest of the global emerging market universe. This is mainly due to the very high level of independence on their boards. They've got a solid track record of economic value creation for minorities. There's a very high level of information disclosure. And then also there's large equity exposures by the founder companies for all companies except for Infosys maybe. And that really aligns their interest with that of minority shareholders. If there are a few weaknesses here, what I would highlight is the still inefficient balance sheets. Although I do realize the, the need for these companies to have high net cash balances, it does re reduce the returns to minorities. Um, also, the dominant shareholder structures um, within all companies except Infosys uh, makes it difficult for the companies to take really good independent decisions. There's also limited disclosure around the exact management KPIs, although I have to note that these companies do have very good employee shareholders plans in place. Um, so the remuneration policies are aligned to a large extent. And then with the case of TCS only, they don't give any guidance. With other companies will give guidance on revenue growth and operating profit margins. On the next slide, I think it's important to just quickly take a look at the different ownership structures and management dynamics within these companies. And I'll start with Tata Consultancy Services, which is still 72% owned by the Tata Sons Group. This is generally regarded as the top management team, as is evident by their revenue growth and profitability and return profile. We have to be wary of one issue, which is regarding a still ongoing legal battle between the previous chairman, Mr. Cyrus Mystery, and the Tata family. Although this seems to have blown over and stability has definitely returned to the company, so I don't think it's a massive issue anymore. The top management within this company has all been group, groomed from within the Tata group, but they're not actual family members, although the CEO is a longtime TCS employee and really highly, highly regarded in the industry. If you contrast that to Infosys, where the founders or promoters own only around 14% of the company, so it's much bigger free float and institutional ownership in there. Within this company, we have to note that there has, they have had a history of volatility within top management. So there was a lot of managers that left in 2014, um, which caused a lot of disruption. Uh, this was sort of stopped by them uh, hiring Vishal Sika from SAP, who did a really fantastic job until there was conflict between him and some of the previous founders, and he left in 2017. I must, however, stress that it seems that stability has returned to top management, um, and that's also been evident in their results of late. The current CEO um, 
is also very well experienced. He's previously from Capgemini. I've got more than 25 years experience. And then one corporate governance issue to highlight here is that there was a whistleblower incident in October 2009, which related to um, allegations of financial malfeasance against the CEO and the CFO. There has subsequently been an SEC investigation in the US as well, which concluded in March and no wrongdoing was found. So this corporate governance overhang, if you will, has also been lifted from the company. Then just quickly contrasting these with HL and Wipro. With HL, we still have very large family ownership by Stuart Nadal and his family, which is the founder. There was some news recently with his daughter, Roshni Nadal-Mahotra, being appointed as the chairman. Uh, the controversy here, and there were some local news reports uh, sort of questioning this decision, is that she's not your typical insider that's come through the ranks in the industry. She has, however, run the charitable arm for quite a while. I'm not concerned about this too much for the company in terms of strategy. As you see, the, the CEO is a very long-term HL tech uh, employee, and I do think there's still consistency that will go through there. And lastly, looking at Wipro. The founding family um, still owns 74% with Recite Premji, the chairman, since last year. He's actually the third generation um, since the founder of the company. So there's a lot of stability there. They've also appointed a new CEO um, who started in June, who comes from Cap Gemini. So there are, there's maybe a question mark over whether this will impact future strategy, and we need to sort of wait and see how that plays out. Then looking at the next slide, um, we look at shareholder return policies and the difference between these companies, which is extremely uh, important. And it's also driven a lot of the difference in valuation of these companies. So first of all, on the left-hand side, you can see that there are very notable large net cash balances by all these companies. And the one that stands out there is the, in inverted commas, low net cash balance by HL technology of only $1.3 billion. Now, this is due to them acquiring seven software products from IBM, which closed in sort of mid of 2019, which cost them $1.8 billion. Um, and they've been consolidating their cash and the cash generation as they've ramped up the production of, of that operation. If you look at it on a relative basis as a percentage of market cap. However, you can see that HL Technologies has got a higher net cash balance than TCS at 5% of market cap. Infosys is also very large, but the clear standout is Wipro, which is one of the big reasons that one of my relative picks in the sector. Now, focusing on that and looking at the right-hand table, which shows what they've done with the cash in terms of dividends and buybacks, they've got they don't have a formal dividend payout policy that clearly states how much they pay. And they've been topping that up with ad hoc buybacks. In the last year, they've done significant buybacks. Now, going forward, given the continued uncertainty we've seen with the COVID-19 impact, I'd be surprised if there's a really big short-term catalyst with them returning a lot of cash to shareholders. But longer term, there definitely is scope to increase this. Um, and this could be a value unlock going forward. Uh, this has also prompted me to look at Wipro on a net cash basis uh, or ex cash PE basis, which I'll look at later, which does give some valuation support. The company has looked at MA in the past, but they've done very small things. So I don't think that'll be a big game changer. Looking at the other companies, um, the one that stands out for me also is TCS. And TCS is sort of my 
lowest pick here and the, the least favored company. And the one area I think I might be wrong, or I could be wrong on TCS, is if you look at the dividend payouts and the dividend yield. So they're the only company that's got a policy of paying out around 85% of net income. Their dividend yield is very attractive, which I'll show later. And with them continuing to upstream as much cash as possible to the Tata Sons group, especially in a current environment of low interest rates, could be very attractive and could support their premium rating. The other two companies, um, Infosys pays out around 50% of net income, topping that up with buybacks. So I think there's also maybe room for more upside given their performance and the cash. And then with HL Technologies, they pay out 50%, but the is split between dividends and buyback. So the dividend yield will always be lower. And I think as the software business gets consolidated within the numbers and cash generation improves, we could see more returns there or there could be more M&A activity. Um, so that, that really informs a lot of the valuation support between the companies. Looking at the next slide, we can focus sort of on the shorter term and the history and what has actually happened with COVID-19 and the recent financial uh, performance. So it was very remarkable from these companies how quickly within a couple of weeks they were able to have more than 95% of their employees working from home, which really limited the supply side impact to their revenue growth. There was, however, a significant downturn in the last reported quarter, which is the calendar quarter to second quarter 2020, their first quarter, uh, fiscal quarter for the year 2021, um, as these companies all of March year ends. So we saw organic constant currency revenue growth to negative for all the companies, excluding emphasis. Now, this was largely driven by delays in settling demand side deals. There's issues with visas, um, travel, and the companies have had to move to contactless engagement with uh, their clients, which did um, result in some weakness going into sort of the early part of the quarter. Now, if you look at the constant currency uh, revenue growth numbers, you can see HL Technologies still had the better numbers, but if we strip out the impact from the acquisitions, um, which is the IBM products acquisitions, you can see that they've also struggled in this quarter. Just a quick word on that acquisition. So that was finalized in June of last year. Um, the company initially guided that they could add around $650 million of revenue per year from this and are currently tracking slightly behind this. With the coming quarter now, they will actually lap this acquisition, so the numbers will become much more comparable and we'll get a better feel of what they've been able to do with uh, the software business. Um, Infosys also, up until the end of last year, 2019, their really good numbers needs to be put into context of a really poor 2018 that they have. So they were lapping pretty weak numbers, although the last quarter was very, very good. Um, things have improved so much in the industry that we actually saw both HL Technologies and Infosys reinstate their guidance, um, which was for, you know, sort of stable to improving margins, but more importantly, a return to growth on the revenue side, especially if you, or particularly if you look at it on a quarter over quarter basis. On a full year basis, the guidance would imply around 0 to 2% growth for Infosys and still a decline for HL technologies of say between minus two and minus 1%, which really shows the impact of them lapping that acquisition. 
it has also been incredibly noticeable how resilient these margins have been. And that's been a big surprise to the market as well. Um, I would caution, however, that if you look at these margins, there could be some short-term wins there in that all four of these companies instituted pay freezes to their employees, and I'm not sure how long that can be sustained. There's also discretionary cost cuts that they could do, like you know, less travel, less visa issuance costs, which is usually a big thing for them. Um, but it shows that they have been able to manage well through at least the beginning part of this crisis. For me, the bigger um, discussing here and the biggest controversy is how the current environment with companies working more from home will impact the longer term um, revenue growth for this business and uh, and so we we could see an acceleration of cloud adoption and we, we could see the, um, sort of an increase in revenue growth as well on the next slide, just a quick trend that I wanted to mention um, on why I like HL Technologies. If you look at the left-hand side, HL and Wipro have historically um, had very high exposure to infrastructure management, but they are growing faster, or at least HL Technologies growing much faster into products and platforms, which is higher growth business. It's got better margins and a better working capital cycle, and we've already seen their returns improve. On the next slide, then, something that is very topical um, and headline-grabbing is the issue around H-1B visas, which are very important for these companies. Um, I won't labor too much on the issue. This has been, uh, you know, we saw a freeze in June um, 2020 by the U.S. administration. This was also a very big issue in the previous presidential election. We have, however, recently seen lawsuits by a lot of the big U.S. IT companies um, around this. And we've um, seen them relax some of the travel restrictions already. Um, from the IT services company's perspective, what they've been trying to do is onshore a lot more in the U.S. Um, for instance, Infosys has mentioned that more than 50% of the U.S. employees are in the U.S. Um, and they've been recruiting from universities. However, if this drags on, we will see a continued negative impact to margins. Um, so it all depends on what happens uh, in the presidential elections, which uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to take a guess at yet. However, longer term, I do think the companies will be able to manage through this. Then lastly, just a couple of slides on valuation to see where we are. On the next slide, we can show the the next, the, these are the next 12 month forward P ratios for the companies. Um, you can see the big recovery we've had so far since April this year. And the only thing I would highlight here is that you know, there's still the premium rating for TCS and Infosys over HL Technologies and Wipro, um, which you'd expect. But all four of these companies are currently trading above their historic average levels. Looking at some of the earnings upgrades, um, you can see where these trades in rating has come from. For TCS, there's been a continual downgrade in earnings expectations, which has driven a lot of their earnings um, or their rating upgrade um, due to and along with with share price performance, while with HL Technologies, there's been continual upgrades as the market has digested their software business acquisition. And there's also been two periods. You can see the previous quarter results at around April, which was disappointing, and the market starting to factor in the weakness from COVID-19. And then the big surprise we've seen in the last reported quarter and the following earnings upgrades, especially for Infosys and Wipro, which has really outperformed during that period. On the next slide, I just quickly want to highlight why 
uh, from a valuation perspective, TCS, although it is the high quality company, is my least favorite company. So historically versus their peer group, they've traded at around 35% premium and currently they're trading at a 45% premium. Um, there's also been a big step change in that relative valuation if you look at 2018 and that is really when they started increasing dividend payouts. So over the last three years, they've traded at around 40% premium um, and it currently was, I do think it makes me cautious given the slightly excessive levels. On the next slide, looking at Wipro and why I do like the company at the moment, if you look at their forward P ratio excluding cash for all their peers and themselves, historically they've traded at around 20% discount, which seems fair given their track record performance and the quality and their exposure. But this, even with the relative outperformance, is still at around a 40% discount, which does give some valuation support. Quickly on the next slide, there is a comp sheet showing the different dividend yields and the, the, the premium that Tata has there, um, which you can have a look at. It shows the returns, et cetera, and the growth expectations. But I just wanted to highlight where my valuations are at the moment, um, where for Infosys, HL Technologies, and Wipro, they're actually kind of trading at around fair value. With Tata Consultancy, I think there's actually downside to the current share price. Which will then leave me to the last slide. And just to conclude, as you would have seen here, yeah, um, overall, I am still less bullish. I am less bullish on the sector at the moment, uh, mostly over the short to medium term. Given the share price performance, we've seen a re-rating from the March lows and the very limited upside, if any, that we have at the moment. However, longer term, I am still bullish on the sector as a whole. Given the high quality of these companies, their sustainable competitive advantage, I think there's um, scope for improved cash returns, especially in a low interest rate environment. And then my relative picks in order of preference would still be the topic for HL Technologies as I do like this evolution of these two software as a service, um, doing more of the revenue. We've got recovering returns. There's some valuation support and I do think the earnings upgrades could continue. Followed by Wipro with the valuation support and the large net cash balance sheet as I alluded to. Then after that, Infosys, although they have been doing phenomenally well on execution and the governance overhangs behind them, they've outperformed so much already that you know I'm not as constructive on the name. And then the last pick would be Data Consultancy Services. As I mentioned, this is the best in class company. This is probably the company you want to own over the long term, but currently trading at all time valuation premium, uh, premium um, relative growth, underperformance over the last while, uh, despite you know, geographic tailwinds from their large exposure in Europe and the continued earnings downgrades. So thanks, Michael. I think that concludes my slide presentation and we can see if there are any questions. Thank you very much for that detailed presentation, Vim. Um, that was definitely very, uh, very in-depth, I think, and very uh, presenting a very clear picture. Um, so, we are a little bit pressed for time, uh, but I would like to uh, to ask you. So you mentioned uh, you mentioned those companies uh, quite high exposure to the U.S. Um, and I wanted to ask you that in the short term, given the current situation in the U.S., uh, do you think that uh, this could turn into a bigger challenge than expected? Yeah, I mean that's a fantastic question, and maybe if you go back. To slide number, let me just check here, slide number five, which shows the exposure. Um, 
this is definitely the topical one. So we've had a freeze on the H-1B visas. Um, it, it's something that the media likes to write about, and the share price does react on this. You know, the current polls show that we could get a change in administration, which will definitely be a positive for these companies. If we don't get that, there will definitely be a negative um, headline news impact. Um, but I do want to stress that, you know, these guys have, you know, entrenched themselves in the U.S. Um, with operations there. I don't think it's going to be a game changer for them in terms of ending their operations if there is further restrictions. They've built up a client base and a trust base that they will remain relevant. It will, however, come with increased costs. Now, what is also interesting, if you look at Infosys, they disclose to us the percentage of their efforts, so amount of people that are actually onshore at companies versus offshore, which is mostly in India. Um, mm -hmm. And that trend has actually gone the way of increased offshoring, although they have said that they're increasing onshoring in the U.S., what that means is that whatever they have to increase onshore in the U.S., they can always make up in other geographies like Europe and the rest of the world, including Asia, Pac, South America, etc. So although I do think um, there could be a negative impact to the cost structures in the U.S., um, I do think they'll be able to mitigate a very large component of that um, by sort of saving costs elsewhere. But longer term, it should cause for slightly declining margins, maybe, and returns. That being said, I do think the situation is still very binary. Um, we've been through this before, um, and there is massive support from especially the U.S. tech industry um, and universities, etc., to support this H-1B visa program going forward. I see. Uh one question from the audience would be uh, would re uh, regard operating margins. Uh, so over the last six to seven years, they've largely been supported by the uh, India rupee weakness versus the U.S. dollar. Mm -hmm. uh, what happens, do you think, if this reverses? If if the rupee starts appreciating uh, versus the dollar? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. So definitely, the rupee. If the rupee appreciates, we would get some headwinds um, to margins. It's interesting looking at it from a global emerging markets perspective, how stable the rupee has been versus the dollar compared to a lot of the other currencies. So um, I, I do think if, if you have that view that the rupee will strengthen from here, you should take into account that there could be some margin weakness. I don't think it will be massively negative in terms of the valuation and the overall cash flow generation. Um, but it will undoubtedly be negative. If you look at this industry as a whole, there is very little pricing power to pass this on to clients. There's a lot of the, especially bread and butter, application development and management services, doesn't have a lot of differentiation to allow for increased pricing. So it is a factor to definitely be cognizant of. Excellent. Well, we're uh, just about, um, a little bit over time, but uh, it's not a big deal. Um, I would like to thank you very much once again, Vium, uh, and thank you everyone for being with us. Uh, so please note that if you have any uh, more questions uh, for Vium, if you want to engage him uh, directly, please uh, speak to your Smart Karma account manager. Um, look for the webinar recording shortly after the end of the session. Uh, and uh, we hope to see you all at our upcoming webinars. Viam, thank you very much once again.
Great. Thanks, Michael. And thanks, everyone, for participating. This was our weekly discussion. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your networks and follow Smart Karma on your social media. And of course, don't forget to visit smartkarma.com for truly independent, differentiated investment research. Thanks for listening and see you at the next one.